Welcome to another episode of the Music Guy Podcast. This is episode 59. My name's Al Rowe. I'm a music guy. I play guitar, I sing, I write songs, I make records. Broadcasting to you from the east end of Toronto in the beaches. This wonderful community of the beaches. Um, it's, uh, it's a pretty warm January day today. Uh, I just took the dog out. Everything's muddy. He got muddy. Uh, it was a whole what scene. What a jerk. Um, joining me on the line from Whitby, Ontario, uh, guitarist, backup vocalist, composer, uh, podcaster at large, Mr. Michael Hebs. How are you, my man? I'm good, man. You should have went higher with the yeah. I know you can go higher. I've, sure, I, you, you, yeah! you actually sent me a vocal like warm-up thing that it was just a lesson that you had done with a teacher, and you went really high on that, so I want you to yeah. aim higher next time. Yeah. Okay, next next yeah. show we'll really go for it. Uh, we have a very special guest uh, with us today. So excited that he could be here. Um, and uh, thanks for taking the time, man. Uh, this is uh, one of the great bass players in, um, in Ontario and in Canada, uh, playing for David Boyd Janes, Kira Isabella, Corey Hotline, Marshall Dane, and many other artists. His YouTube channel, Benny the Bassman, has... Uh, over two, over twenty two thousand five hundred subs, um, subscribers. That is, um, and he's just a great bass player, a great guy. It's Mr. Ben Miller. Welcome to the show, dude. Hey, man. Thank you so much. And uh, for the record, I think your yeah was great, dude. You know, he, oh, I, thanks. He had more in him. You know, I got kind of starstruck. I've been listening. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of the podcasts, and and uh, that that yeah got me going, dude. Got you fired up. Yeah, I got There's me fired up. Too much positivity going on. Yeah, I'm a bass player. I'm all about positivity. You know, you got to lift up the artist. I'll, there you go. That was, there that, you yeah, go. it was great. Dude. I mean, Good so job. yeah, you're not just a player, but if I'm not wrong, you you band lead those bands as well. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe, but I mean, you know, it's like the, the the bass player roots run deep, man. Yes, yes. Gotta gotta lift everyone up. There's a few bass player MDs out there. Like I feel like that's a com- like a like a that's a combination that works well. You know what? Yeah, it does. And and um, one of the probably one of the best reasons that it does is because bass players are already used to thinking about the band as a whole, right? A lot of other instruments, just kind of by nature, of the instrument maybe are a little more selfish, and they should be selfish because. They're a lot more soloistic or a lot more of the lead instrument. And, and so a lot of their time is spent thinking about how they come across as their own entity on a stage. But the bass player's job is to make everyone else sound good. So I feel like that's probably pretty natural that a bass player is thinking about the whole band, you know? Instead of being like, the guitar yeah, solo great needs thing. to be louder and faster. Yeah, exactly. It's my yeah. contribution. <laughs> and you do it well, man. Some good words of wisdom there. The bass player has to make everybody else sound good. I like that a lot. Complimentary um, instrument, man. We're the, we're the ultimate complimentary instrument. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, let's start. Uh, there's so many places we could go here. Let's start with, I mean, what you've been up to during quarantine. It feels so long since any of us had like a, a real, I mean, I've had a couple of gigs that have been sort of, you know, in plexiglass and, and online and stuff like that. But since any of us, played like a true show at a festival or anything it's it feels like that's miles uh away you know behind us and ahead of us um but you've got a you've got a a hell of a youtube channel going on can you just give us a a synopsis what what what's happening with the channel and 
if people want to check it out, what are they going to find there? Thanks, man. Um, I appreciate that a lot. And uh, yeah, I will. So there was definitely a, a super dark period during this whole thing where like my whole mental state went boom and I didn't uh, post anything to the channel. Um, and maybe we can talk about that. I know you and Mike did an awesome mental health episode that I checked out. Um, and this kind of falls in line with that a lot. But um, I've recently started up again. So it's uh, it's youtube.com slash C for creator slash Benny the Bassman, all one word. And uh, what I do there is I it's fully by request now, which is great because there's enough people out there that I'll listen to it that they submit enough requests that I'm just backed up forever on requests, which is really cool. Yeah. But I, I take requests and nice. um, and I uh, the requests are for songs. And so I'll listen to them. And then I'll what I'll do is I'll write out note for note the entire song, no matter how long it is. Um, I'll write out the notation and I'll also write out the tabs. So people who can read notes and people who read tabs can both benefit from it. And then I'll slap a camera on myself and I'll play through the whole thing kind of in one take. Uh, and then I'll kind of superimpose the notes and the tabs on top of that and just throw it up on YouTube. And I try to do one of those every week, um, which can be quite a challenge sometimes. Uh, and so basically the idea is that it just helps people who may not have the sort of the, the ear developed enough to be able to learn tunes by themselves to just... Uh, follow along with what I'm doing and learn a song uh, from scratch. Also, too, it's really um, high resolution. You know what I mean in terms of the yeah. the like what 4K what you're doing. Da, da, da. Well, you know, yeah, in terms of <laughs> what you're doing, yeah, because like I don't know, you get like a bass tab for like a riff, like something like Sweet Home Alabama. You know, right. fucking everybody kind of plays it mostly right but there's no tabs that's like this is every single fill uh, dude and when you he- you nailed it man and like i'm such a perfectionist so like it, you know if I, if I go online and look up a song you, you know any song you look up there's going to be any every player on every instrument playing it wrong times a thousand yeah. right everyone's sort yeah. of like this is how mm-hmm. i play it or whatever and it's like a, it's like 80 percent at best and i'm such a total perfectionist um that i that that's kind of what frustrated me and i was like well i could probably I could probably do this better, you know? So then yeah. I, I sort of took it upon myself because I also know, like, uh, there was a there was a different company that I partnered with that was interviewing me and they were asking me about um, American Pie, you know, the Don McLean, um, mm-hmm. uh, like, folk yeah. masterpiece, which is, like, a perfect example. So, like, you can learn how that song goes as far as the chords because there's, there is a chord structure. But as far as the bass line goes, there's never the same passage played twice in that whole song. It's all like sure. really, really cool um, uh, sort of improvising on a theme kind of stuff. And so it's not going to do you any good to learn how one half of the song goes because the other half is going to be completely different. So like yeah. that song is a perfect example um, where like I, I learned the whole thing and wrote the whole thing out and learned how to play the whole thing so that because I know that. You know, as far as bass players go, we all have different tastes. So, like, if you ask 100 different bass players what their favorite line in American Pie is, they'll probably have 100 different answers for you. Yeah. So, you know, so I, and I want to serve everyone. So that's why, that was the idea, just to t- totally get super anal about it and uh, and lift the entire thing note for note and then play it in one take. So you show people how to do it, and then you also have the notes and the tabs so that everyone can can hopefully learn. It's an outlet for for uh, your perfectionism. <laughs> totally, 
Yeah. I could just satisfy it on a weekly <laughs> weekly basis. And then it, there also would be like a link where people could download the the notation and tabs so totally. they could actually have a full size page to look at. Yeah, absolutely. So because of the nature of how uh, YouTube works, which I completely agree with for the record, um, I, I'm, I can't make any money off of YouTube because I have the original music playing behind my stuff I because I feel like yeah. that context is super important. Um, so I've chosen to make it impossible for myself to earn, actually earn money off of this uh, from YouTube. And I agree with that. Because so, as soon as I post a video, YouTube's like, no, this is this goes to Don McLean. This doesn't yeah. go to you, Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I, I have a Patreon account, um, which is uh, www.patreon.com slash Benny the Bassman. Um, and Patreon, it just allows people who are fans to to sign up to be patrons of internet creators of any sort. Um, so people can uh, pledge certain amounts of money, like two bucks a video that I yeah. post or four bucks a video, and then they will get uh, certain benefits, including, yeah, charts um, and other things like weekly lessons and all this kind of stuff. And That's then I really also cool. um, recently just partnered with a site called Jelly Note, uh, which are some awesome people working out of Europe. They're in Paris. And they actually publish uh, creators' charts and get all the appropriate copyright and then sell them uh, to oh, anyone who wants them on like a one-off basis, which is actually really, oh, really great. that's a great idea. Uh, yeah, and, and so it's perfect. Uh, so the, the site is jellynote, J-E-L-L-Y-N-O-T-E, um, slash creators, slash Benny the Bassman again. And that's where you'll see all my charts. But every chart that I have on YouTube is also for sale there. And so what they do is they just deal with all the copyright and sort that all out and then give the creators a bit of the money that's left over yeah. from the sale of the chart. And it's very inexpensive. It's like, let's like $4.70 in euros. So that might yeah. translate into like, I don't know, six or seven bucks Canadian per chart. And they have practice uh, tools right on there. So you can see my chart and play along with it and change the speed and all that stuff like right on the That's website. That's super cool. I mean, the sweet thing a- about it too is um, like just because you can't make money from the views, mm-hmm. it's like I feel like YouTubers, they a good chunk of the money that they make is is not from views. It's from like the other things like you're talking about, the Patreon, uh, people release courses, which would totally make sense for you as well too if you did. Or something totally. like that. You know what I but mean? But I mean, like, you know, and I and I, this is not a complaint at all because I agree with it, right? Like, this is yes. the other artist music. Right? We're all musicians here. Yeah. So if we made yep. a popular song, we would want to make money off of other people reposting that song too. Yes. You know? Yeah. So it, it is it yes. is correct for sure. There the there might be there might be room to improve there as far as like because it's for education. Maybe you can sneak some sure. fair use ideas in there. Yeah. But um, no, that's that's the way it should work for sure. That makes sense. And it's never, it wasn't really about as about money for me as it was about just helping people learn stuff. I was more just yeah. triggered by bad covers. <laughs> so I wanted to do my best to make good Have covers. Have you ever yeah. showed up to a gig where it's like you ask them, like this usually happens in bar bands, but I'll be, I'll be like, oh yeah, do you do it like the record? They're like, yeah, we do it like the record. And then you get there and it's like, man, it is not, not like the record. Like there's that one song, Whiskey Girl, and it starts in a different key and then changes to the key that it's in and yeah. I remember I like started it in the other key and everyone looked at me and they Ooh, didn't know yeah. that that they were wrong and I was like Fuck. <laughs> yeah 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 I mean once or twice I could say yeah, yeah. safely 
<laughs> totally, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, I mean, we're musicians, dude. By definition, we're lazy. We're lazy yeah. motherfuckers. Yeah. We do the least amount of work possible <laughs> to get the gig done by definition. So, yeah. Story of my life. <laughs> um, I, have a t- I have a technical question that probably only uh, serves me, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Uh, how do, do you get the tab to show on the video? Great question. I'm and so like glad you through. answered this, Al. Yeah. Let me alienate 90% <laughs> of everyone who's listening right now to tell you. <laughs> um, so I, I, uh, I record everything separately. So I've got Pro Tools over here for recording audio. And I got my Lumix GH5, my like DSLR camera okay, over yeah, here yeah. recording video. And I record them separately. And then I write the chart in Sibelius. And then in Final Cut, I put everything together. Um, but uh, so basically, I, I output the once I finish writing the chart and tabs and everything in Sibelius, you can export Sibelius as you can export a Sibelius chart as a video. So oh. I export that as a video, and then I import that into Final Cut along with a video of myself playing and everything. And then the fun part is. You really get to know <laughs> which tunes were recorded to a click track or not, because like if sure. you know if I figure out the tempo is like one ten, um, you know you'll get a Steely Dan tune and it's like perfect. You know I don't have to do a thing to it, but then you'll get like some jazz recordings where it like it fluctuates by like ten BPM over the course of the song. Yes. So then I'm I'm in Final right. Cut with my score like changing. The, the speed of this of the score every oh. few seconds to make sure oh, that the man. that it still lines up. That's great. Um, that's great that the feature's in there brutal. to be able to change the speed. Yeah, I'm oh, always final, surprised. Yeah, Final Cut's sick. Yeah, final Cut yeah. is like I guess kind of industry standard on the Mac side, and then like maybe Premiere, Adobe Premiere on the PC side. But yeah, Final Cut is great. Apple R, and then you just say like, okay, let's go to 101 percent or 102 percent. And you just sort of say, yeah, you have to go through the whole, it's a process, man. It takes me a long time, Um, but, uh, but it's worth it and really gratifying when it all comes together. And people have, uh, there's been a lot of great comments. So people seem to seem to be appreciating it, which is also re gratifying for me. Yeah. How long have you been doing it for? I started, um, so I quit my day job, like Christmas, 2017, started a YouTube channel, January, 2018. There you go. Um, And, uh, yeah, it it was like very slow going at the beginning as one would expect. Um, I think it took me three months to get a hundred subscribers cause you know, I'm not, I'm not a guy who's very proud of myself and it's kind of, uh, advertising what I'm doing is very uncomfortable and difficult for me. So I just kind of did it and didn't really tell anyone I was doing it and just sort of let it grow organically, purely organically from the internet. Um, which is the clean, which was the cleanest way for me to do it, I guess, because like I said, it felt, feels very cringy for me to, to go out there and like advertise myself, sell yourself, especially at the beginning. So yeah, yeah I was like, mm-hmm. took one, it took three months to, to get from zero to 100 subscribers. And then, you know, it just gets, seems to go faster and faster. Three months to, to get there. And then maybe another seven or eight months to get to a thousand, you know, so it get, goes nice. faster and faster. And that's doing a video a week. Yeah. Yeah, that was doing one video a week. So, how, like, how long does it take, man? Like, how long does it take to learn, to lift the tune, write the chart? I'm guessing editing the video takes longer than anything else. Am I right about that? Um, it really depends on how hard the, the tune of the week is. 
like uh, <laughs> like I said, uh, after the, the the dark COVID times, when I finally got my head on straight and was able to come back, I did uh, the Chicken by Jocko as my first oh, um, first episode back. The full like seven minute thing, and again, it's like Jocko's just going nuts oh throughout gosh. the whole thing, and no, yep. no two passages are the same. Yeah. So that one I, I probably worked on for like three weeks. But lifting, lifting wow. that takes forever because that's like a seven or eight minute tune of all sixteenth notes, you know. So I think probably the yeah. the lifting, lifting or practicing maybe somewhat equal, as far as how difficult it is, depending again on how actually just hard the tune is, and then editing is like. That's you're kind of looking at like my Friday, like Friday is recording sure. the song, editing together, uploading it, and doing all that stuff. That's like that's that's Friday gone, basically. But then Monday yeah. to Monday to Thursday is is uh, is like lifting it and practicing it. Fuck! Wow. <laughs> so it's essentially a full time job to make a video a week. It may be like two to three hours a day. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not like full time. Full time, but. Definitely a good two to three hours per yeah. day. It's nice because sure. it keeps you like moving on the instrument. You know well, that I mean? was that was that's one of the biggest reasons why I kept yeah. doing it. Obviously, it's great to get feedback, and everyone, yeah, not everyone. Obviously, you've got people who absolutely hate my ass inexplicably, <laughs> but um, you did it a lot too of people, right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or, or like I, I made the one mistake of posting like a metal tune, you know, and I just sure. got obliterated because I'm like not a metal bro and I'm uh, playing it all wrong. Don't use a pick. Uh, sometimes, but yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but that was the other thing is that it forces me, especially during this where, you know, none of us are working or have the ability even to play for people. Uh, yeah, it, it's great because it just forces me to, to pick up the instrument, man. And, uh, keep, keep practicing, keep my chops up. So that's been a really, really good excuse. So it's speaking of like perfectionist. So if you were, if you're doing the recording, like, will you, um, record until you, get a through take that's that you're absolutely happy with will you or are you super hard on yourself about that or will you do it like an edit or will you just let there be a couple mistakes in there if, if that's what happens kind of thing what, what's your we were kind of talking before we started about like how you know perfectionist we can be and how that can sort of cause us to not complete things and not do things and put stuff out there so what, absolutely do you, I, I guess the deeper um meaning to this question is like how do you sort of govern that and what what uh, what's your approach there that's a great question i think it's two parts maybe so i'll i'll answer them both separately so first um on the more surface level uh when i'm yeah when i'm recording these things i'm really trying to do them all in one take really really trying to do them all mm -hmm. uh in one take and usually i'm recording between like five and ten takes to get there yeah um and I'll record until like my my brain goes foggy and I'm just like, you know, you can tell we've, we've all kind of done this enough where it's like there's a there's a part where you're warming up and kind of nervous. And then there's a part where you're like really in the zone and you're playing well. And then I feel like there's a part where it's just like every take gets worse again. Yes. Where your brain mm -hmm. is just gone. Oh, yeah. So I usually try to get until the point where I'm like super at the peak of of where my brain is allowing me to be at the moment. Um, and then, yeah, like so. so 99% of everything you're you're seeing on my channel is is one take and then if there's like one clanker where I'm just like ugh, I just missed that one note or I like hit a hit a fret and it buzzed really hard or whatever then I'll just take I never like overdub but I'll just take from another take 
that just like one note or two notes that are just like really out there and just going to ruin the experience for people if they hear it, you know? But it's also sort of like, I I don't, I don't, I don't edit every mistake. Like you'll hear mistakes on the channel. It's just, but that's kind of part of life too, right? Like we all make mistakes and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's part of a very deep part of what being a musician is, I feel. But yeah, if there's any really, really bad parts that just don't, won't help somebody learn the song properly, if I leave that mistake in, then I'll just sort of, yeah, I'll, I'll just fly it in from another take or whatever. So yeah, 99% of everything is, is all, uh, is all one. And then there's, you know, one or two overdubs here and there if I need them. And then, um, nice. yeah. And then the, I guess the other part about perfectionism and, and doing the stuff in the first place is like the amount of analysis paralysis that us musicians I think subject ourselves to especially if there is anybody out there that's looking to start a YouTube channel to do with music uh, can be really detrimental like I, I feel like we are so we're trained to be so perfectionistic right because we we got to be on stage you know and with an artist some maybe it's, it's pretty high stakes you got to play the right notes and you got to like really come to rehearsal prepared you never want to look like you're unprepared or you never want to admit that you're unprepared or make a mistake in front of people. We got to be stoic. We got to be perfect all the Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. So I feel like, um, when that, (laughs) the problem is that's not compatible with like weekly posting on the internet. It's just not. (laughs) Yeah. Especially at the beginning when you don't really know what you're doing. Those two things are very incompatible. Perfectionist musician always prevent like presenting a perfect product over here versus like, Bearing your soul online, putting a camera on you and like posting something online every week over here. It's like, this is totally real and you're going to screw up a hundred times over here, but, and yet you're supposed to be completely perfect at the same time. It's like yeah. those two things don't mesh at all. So I feel like a lot of people are like, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. And then they spend the next two years trying to create the perfect YouTube video, you know, they'll like buy all his gear yeah. and then they'll yep. like, re- you know, record something, watch it back, cringe at themselves, be like, oh, that's not good. I got to do a better one. And then like they'll literally never post anything because it's never going to be up to that. You know, you're, you're um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're vulnerable Standard? as you yeah, when, yeah, as you yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So well, it's like it's like records. I see some people who are almost afraid to release like anything. Like just beginner artists who are like afraid to release, you know, a song, and it's like, well, yeah, you know, it's your first song, right? Know? Yeah, exactly. But but the thing is that people kind of have in their mind that you're going to release one song, and that song is going to go huge, and you're just going to explode, and that's like how it works, yeah. which is n- never how it works. Yes, <laughs> literally <laughs> never how it works. Like it, you know, it, you guys have all heard the saying. I'm sure it takes it takes half your life to become an overnight success. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the first video that that catapults someone to stardom is nowhere near their first video guaranteed. It's just the first one that most people have seen. But yeah. But there's a lot of other stuff that goes. Um, there's there's a whole lifetime of practice that goes into it, and a whole lifetime mm-hmm. of doing your creative stuff before before you get to that point. So, uh, what I would say to anyone who's actually just looking to start any sort of a creative youtube channel is just start man just like make something and then just post it you know just put it out there because it's also Mm kind of nice like two or three years down the road you go back to those early ones you're like oh man look at how crap i was compared to like how you are now you know it's a fun 
um, mm -hmm. sort of roadmap or it keeps you, yeah, it keeps you honest as far as where you've come. But it's way more important to just start because, because the thing is, no one's going to see that first YouTube video anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you've got zero subscribers, <laughs> you hit post. There's going to be zero people watching it, man, except yeah. for maybe your family and, yeah. and your good friends. Like no one else is going to watch it. So it's okay. But it's more important, in my, in my opinion, to just get started and then you gradually improve and you learn as you go. Like what, I mean, let me turn it back to you guys if this is okay. Like what was your first podcast like and how did you guys decide to start it? I'm trying to think of what, what which was the first, I don't even know what we talked about on the, the first, first podcast. The first podcast was us uh, just giving our, our own um, kind of biographies of like wh where we came from, uh, how we got into music, what kind of stuff we've done. Um, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll say this, like, I edited the crap out of that podcast. Totally. Yeah. I probably spent yeah. like three hours editing that podcast 100%. easily. Yeah. And, you know, now, and not to say that we're, you know, significantly better than that, but like now I'll, I'll spend, you know, far less time editing because yeah. I'm better at editing and also like I know what to look for. Exactly. Um, and I think we're just, our flow is a little bit better we're both we're both speaking better so there's hopefully less pauses and ums and ahs and that kind of stuff so yeah but you learned um, on the job right you learned as you went that's exactly it. yes oh yeah. yeah 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 so i mean i'm sure if you listen to that first one it'd be a mess yeah well the, the follow up question would be how long did you guys talk about doing this podcast before you actually started doing it al just brought it up but i to be honest i wanted to do a podcast for the longest time and i just never said anything to anyone right but al, there you al, go I think we had both been thinking about yeah. wanting this sort of creative outlet. Just coincidentally, um, we were both really interested in doing this. And, mm. and yeah, I mean, it took us moving in together as, you know, just because we were two dudes who need a place to live. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're friends or whatever. And then it, you know, it took that and then me being like, all right, well, if I want to do this, like, you know, I think Mike would be a great co-host and we're literally in the same house. Yeah. So there'll never be an, like, there'll never be an excuse why we can't do it. Right. Right. <laughs> and then, Fair and enough. then it just kind of worked out, but you're right though. There was that, there was that, the germination of that idea, like having so much earlier. For um, sure. So it does take a long time for, for well, to take that leap into any sort of thing. It's like absolutely. the, I think the shutdown or just like the, COVID has kind of forced a lot of people to be more present on social media too as well. Like I know there are tons of artists and like even, you know, myself, it's just like, oh man, I wish I put more videos out there. And it's mm -hmm. like, they're starting to do it. And it's like, I, I guess there's, there's mm -hmm. no excuse not to, you know, like it's definitely just fear. 100% fear. Yeah. 100% fear. Love that fear. Yeah. <laughs> Bless that I mean, fear. if you, if it's something that you want to do, you should, you should do it. Yeah. If it's not, if it's not for you, then I don't think you should feel that there's a negative pressure to, uh, to get online and put yourself online because as we've talked about in the past, there's a lot of negatives and, uh, and, and mental health sort <laughs> of stuff that is working against you in, in the social media universe. So if it's not something that, if you're not enjoying the process of like what you're saying, Ben, it was like your first video was, was whatever. And then your second one was a little bit better. And your third one was a little bit better. And like, 
every week you're excited about, oh, I get to lift this tune now. Sure. Okay, sweet. Oh, this has such a, this, so many cool looks in here I never realized. And like, I'm learning all this stuff. I'm playing my instrument, having fun. All right, people are engaging. Now I'm, t- you know, I'm teaching. Like, if you don't enjoy that process, you know, then you're going to really Burn have a tough out. time because. Yeah. If you're just looking at the results of like how many views did I get, how many subscribers did I get, uh, how much money did I make? God forbid. That's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the what's your hourly rate on like, Twitch now, Al? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's less than a less than a dollar an hour for sure. That's you know what I mean. But but I mean, what's it's an outlet and it's fun to feel like I'm playing for people, right? Hundred so. percent. But I mean, like, what's our hourly rate? Any any time we pick up an instrument, either. Yeah. It's probably less than a dollar an hour that we actually yeah. make yeah. compared to the time we actually work on our instruments, you know, uh, yeah. whether it's at home or not. But so, but Al, I completely agree, man. That's probably like a, that's probably a microcosm of the entire music industry, the way you just explained it. Like if this is not for love, you're going to burn out and do something else, you know, quickly yeah. anyway, because, you know, you, mm-hmm. could, you could apply that even to, even to live performing, which is arguably one of the funnest things we all get to do. But there's so much else that goes into it that's not as glamorous as the onstage part looks, yeah. you know, that it, that if you don't truly oh, yeah. love the whole thing, then you're not going to stick with it anyway. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a beautiful microcosm for the whole uh, music sector is like you got to really love what you're doing or it's it's not going to last because there's it's too true. much hardship there. And then you got to like- figure out how to pay rent. <laughs> it's like well the one thing with youtube and all social media and performing in music it's like if you obviously you don't want to force things but say for with youtube maybe your thing's not doing transcriptions maybe you just want to do a vlog there's so many different ways that you could like pivot you know same with Mm -hmm. social media will was saying even with the agenda you guys were talking about oh we're gonna make more of an effort to you know reach out to clients and you know thank them and you know just keep in touch with them and he's like, oh, I don't want to be too stinky about stuff. And I'm like, well, you don't have to be stinky. Like, everybody has their own way of doing social media that sort of suits their personality, you know? So if you're like, ah, oh, this seems like I'm selling myself too much and, you know, I don't want to be that guy. I was like, hey, guys, so proud to have you here. You're my, my subscribers are the best, you know? You don't have to be that, which is cool, you know? You could just post a video of you playing fucking Prince guitar on Instagram and, you know not not mention anything or not tag Wendy from Prince and then she doesn't fucking respond because you know she's too cool <laughs> to fucking hang with a guy who lives in Whippy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like uh, that was getting a little personal there. It might have been. Yeah, that took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, exactly, man. I couldn't agree. I think people too, put too much emphasis on promotion and maybe maybe I'm wrong about this. Uh, Because obviously I'm not an expert, but I feel like there's too much emphasis on promotion and not enough emphasis on the quality of the content that you're producing and the value that you're giving to the people who are viewing it. So I I, I don't know that you can reasonably expect hordes of people to flock to your content if it's kind of self-indulgent, like... You know, I'm just playing uh, like me, like my Twitch stream. And this is even like, like, I'm just playing songs I like. Like, I'm not, yeah. I, I don't expect 
thousands of people to be interested in this. I'm doing it because I think it's fun. Mm, and there sure. are a few people that are into it, and that's, that makes it more fun. But, like, if you're producing content that brings value to people in terms of, like, they're out there looking for how do I play this Tower of Power song, and you're the best resource for that, everybody's going to funnel it over there yeah. too right so mm -hmm. i think if you're really concerned about getting a lot of viewership or subscribers or or what have you which i don't even think you you necessarily should be in the first place but if you are concerned with that you know at, put yourself in their shoes like why would you go watch you if you were them it's like well because i'm like i want to know this thing yeah in the case of ben's channel i want to know how to play this this song like that one fill in the Ben's song the guy that nobody knows how to do, that, how to and, do. yeah yeah, yeah and exactly. he can show me how to do it in a yeah. way that that i can understand and is accessible to me um and you know so i think it's like a perfect um combination of that so yeah so i mean i i it's, i've been thinking about this this whole concept a lot recently because i do want to grow my audience on on twitch and for the podcast and everything else and it did occur to me it's like maybe I should do a few lesson videos on YouTube and see ah. what that does, and maybe if there's, you know, maybe that could be an extra um, facet of of the things that I'm doing. And it's like, hey, if you like this video, I also got this cool podcast. Maybe come check that out. If you, you know what I mean, and like that. But then that at least I'm I'm providing value. I'm not, um, not that you know, Facebook advertising is is a is a that's also maybe a thing you should be doing. But it's like. If you're just getting in people's faces, you know, versus what if you could also be providing them with some value, then they would, you know, want to come see you instead of being shown you. <laughs> you know? Oh, exactly, man. Hundred percent. Uh, no, you got to start from qu the quality of the of the content, right? Um, one of the things that I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because I, I went through all the like YouTube creator videos when I was starting the channel you know, because YouTube has a bunch of really good resources for people starting out. And one of the things they said that really hit me was like, no matter what your crazy niche is, like maybe your thing is like finding warthogs in the wild and then like playing a song to them when you find them. Like there, there's like a group of people on the internet right now who will watch that. You know what I yeah. mean? Like there's an audience yeah. for that. Like, I'll do you underwater basket weave? Sick, dude. There's yeah. people out there who want to watch, who literally want to sit at home and watch you do that. So, like, the yeah. so like starting from that place of just knowing that no matter what the niche is, there are people out there that will want to consume that if it's good enough. Um, then basically you realize that the, the only trick, well, there's two tricks. One, make the content that people want to see, which is the first trick. What that a we trick. Talked about. Don't, it is, man. Like, don't, <laughs> yeah, don't, is, don't get yeah. bogged down in the analysis yeah. of it. But then two is just figure out how to reach those people. Yeah. And then yeah. that's it. And that's it. So, like, th those people are out there, period. Yeah. Full stop. It's your job to just reach them. Mm -hmm. That's all. So, like, maybe maybe what that means is that, like, you know, advertising or getting in people's face is a good thing, but you got to have the quality to yeah. back it up you can't just get in people's yeah, face absolutely. without having something to give them in the first place yeah it's like a moral it's yeah. like a moral imperative you know there you go yeah that makes sense yeah that yeah. makes a lot of sense um so uh, if uh, i don't know if we we're i think we've kind of hit all the notes that are in the notes here um but if we just shift gears for a second you had mentioned that uh you took a break from it um, did you want to sort of share what was going on at, at that 
point and, and talk about that or sure yeah respect to if uh, you're comfortable with it yeah absolutely no I've Respect to Michael Hebbs in the uh, mental health episode on this on this podcast. Hey. Right here. Um, man, so music is like very deeply important to me. Um, both my parents were professional musicians. My grandparents were professional musicians. Did my sisters are professional musicians. Like literally, I'm the 11th pro musician since my grandparents era in my family. Um, so like music is wow. very deeply important to me and playing it for people and making people happy is like a, is like a purpose in my life. It's like a big purpose. Um, and other than that, I'm a really physical guy. So I love to get exercise and I was going to like a fight gym. Um, and oh, that yes. was a really big part of my mental health as well. Just like exercising to the point of complete exhaustion. Uh, so those two things together were really like, were really my support structure as far as like my own mental health, right? I was getting to play shows and work on music and that was rewarding and keeping me propped up and then, um, going to Krav Maga and getting my ass kicked, you know, and punching people and stuff until I was exhausted and could hardly breathe was like the other half that kept yeah. me like m mentally in shape. And then, you know, uh, March hit. And both of those things disappeared at the exact same time, right? So the music was all mm. gone. Nobody could play gigs anymore, which I completely agree with for the record. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then oh, yeah. also, all, obviously, because we're all like running around, punching each other, sweating on each other at the Krav gym, the gym is closed at the same time as it should yeah. be. So yes. my like my entire like mental health apparatus just like evaporated overnight. And it probably took like one month before um and again like you said uh mike i'm i'm not a doctor and i actually haven't ha ever had this professionally diagnosed but i'm i'm very confident that i was depressed uh yeah. it took one month before like it really took hold um and really for me how it manifested was just like a, a, a severe apathy like severe apathy towards wanting to create anything like, uh, you know, I, I post a video on YouTube and then it would take me two or three weeks to post another one. And then it might take me a month. And then I stopped mm. altogether. And I look over like at my bases over there. And I, the thought of practicing made me s actually feel sick. Like I felt yeah. ill at the thought of picking up an instrument and practicing. Um, mm. Which is something that had never happened to me before. It was really scary because like. Music is, like I said, it's so important to me. And I completely lost it, not only lost the desire to do it, but started being negatively, you know, just if I started feeling awful in myself at the thought of doing it, which was a really, yeah. really bad time. And I got really insular. I didn't return phone calls. You know, people were checking in. And I just never respond. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that's depression. Um, or at least it, 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 it was for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was like a, so, you know, if you go on my YouTube channel, you'll see there's like, you know, maybe March, April, and then like nothing until, uh, October <laughs> again, yeah. October, November. Yeah. Uh, and that was me just trying to, to sort myself out and deal with it. I'm lucky that I have a, an awesome fiance who's actually supposed to be my wife at this point, but is not because we could not get married because our wedding was scheduled for November. There you go. Um, so uh, but we lived together and uh, she was also unemployed pretty much at the same time. So we, we kind of held on to each other throughout a lot of this and like got through it. Yes. And I was also lucky that um, nice. the one artist that we mentioned at the beginning, David Boyd Jane's 
Um, we ran weekly rehearsals for a lot of the uh, pandemic as well. Um, we did it safely and everyone in the band was being very responsible with everything that they, everyone that they met up with and we wore masks and stuff in the rehearsal space, but we kept rehearsing. So at least that was like a lifeline as far as one thing I could look forward to per week and work on, um, all of these tunes. And as MD, I could kind of come up with arrangements and work on cool stuff. So I had, I had one thing keeping me going music wise every week until things really got bad. And then of course we canceled rehearsals. Yes. Um, but yeah, it was a, man, it was a hard time. Uh, it was a really hard time for me, but the, 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 the awful thing about that kind of depression, or at least how it hit me was that it, you don't notice it in a like, bam, you're depressed. It's more like a very gradual, just like removal of feeling. Yes. Until there's nothing left mm. until you just don't feel at all. So it's not just like you're like, shit. oh, this is terrible. I'm depressed. I want to fight this. It's more just like. You just gradually feel less and less until it's just gray. There's yep. just nothing. Yeah. So it's not even like you really realize what's happening to you while you're in it. At least that's how it hit me. Yeah. And then you like almost reach a point where you're like, oh, fuck. You know, at yeah, least for me, I like, realized I was like, I got to get some fucking help. <laughs> literally, yeah. Right? yeah. I was, I li- and, and you know what? Even the face you made there, Mike, is like, yeah. I looked at some videos where I made it and like my eyes were half closed. I'm like, what is, why, why am I like this? Like, what is going on? You know? <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It's like you you have to look at yourself from outside because the, the 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 disease or the illness is such that you you hardly realize it when yeah. you're in yourself. It's funny. But yeah, I, man. I I treat these things with with such like humor, so I shouldn't be like laughing. But it's it's more so just no. like I can really relate. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like yeah. it's like that's the biggest thing. Like I have students. I have this one student who has OCD, and I'm like to her like there's like a a strength in that at, in the same sense like yeah like obviously you want to like you're getting help and all that that's great but i mean she's different than your average bear because of that you know like her attention to detail is better obviously mm. you know you can't lean too hard into the ocd because you know that'd be that'd be bad but like it, you know it, it makes you almost like a superhero in a way you know like same with <laughs> <Right>. me like <laughs> so i don't know but uh totally yeah, no 100 yeah. we're all we're all idiot savants over here like we, yeah, you know, we're all, yeah, 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 that's exactly it. I totally. fucking hope I am, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, hundred percent. And I should say that the, um, for me, and again, this is not medical advice, so please don't listen to anything that I say in terms of yourself. But for me, what really helped me start getting out of it was I changed my diet pretty radically. Oh, okay, and, yeah, yeah, and that actually contributed a lot. I was eating the standard Canadian diet for a while there, and then I, I switched to. I'd seen some examples, some pretty st- extreme examples of musician friends of mine that have been doing the carnivore diet, you know, sure. just like keto plus uh, kind of yeah, thing, yeah. like yeah. only pretty much only eating meat. And again, I know this isn't for everyone, but yeah, uh, I, I started that um, and it pretty much within two or three weeks, my, my brain unfogged and totally yeah. unclouded and I was able to feel, I was able to have initiative again. I was able to yeah. take the initiative to start things again. So you can pretty much uh, correlate a lot of projects that I started to like two or three weeks after I changed my diet pretty radically. So Just I was like lucky to have found care that. care of yourself. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. the thing. Like, it's like, it's, it's almost like whatever it is, like making a change of sorts, like however little 
You know, like, I, you see those videos where they talk about, like, oh, make your bed and shit like that. And it's like, even for mm. me, that was a thing. It's like, just make make your bed, you know? Like, if, if every day you, you can make your bed, it's, like, something to be proud of, you know? Like, uh, that for me, that was, like, great advice, you know? It was a good start for me, you know? 100%. Respect yeah. yourself and everything that you do and yeah. start there. But when you're in the depths of depression or whatever it was, uh, you, you can't, that's impossible, you know? It's yep. like, if you if you or it could be close to impossible at least it's like if you if you feel like that for a second where you're like oh i should really make my bed and then depression's like eh, i bet you just uh sit over here and watch netflix instead yeah it doesn't fucking matter anyways don't make your bed yeah the world's yeah. fucking ending <laughs> or like you'll like get up and you're like i'm gonna make my bed and depression's like mm, no you're good no thank you just, just don't do it instead <laughs> so yeah you know, that, yeah, can be, know. that was that was a real challenge Real, real challenge, and yeah. I'm sure, and well, I know we're not alone, man. I know, like, yeah. so many people in our industry is like, you know, that's our purpose, man. Like, I look at you guys, and it's, like, such a big part of both your lives is this damn thing. You know, I've played in so many bands with both you guys, and it's, yeah. like, we live we live this stuff. Yeah. This is what yep. we do, and it's to have yep. it taken away, and, and we're to, through virtually no fault of our own, right? We can't blame ourselves. It's not like we screwed something up really badly. It's just, like, this, yeah. this just happened no. to us. I don't think that I yeah. caused COVID, but I can't be positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Shout out to all you guys suffering, man. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for, for sharing that, yeah. man. And I, I think it's like, I'm sad that to hear that you went through that and, uh, and, uh, I, we weren't super in touch during that time. And that makes me, even sadder because like I could have nah. you know reached out or whatever and I hey did, man I'll tell you right now if you had reached we out I probably wouldn't have replied to you so don't even worry about it that. yeah well you know? but um, I'm happy to hear that you're you're sort of coming on the other side of it and that you you you've figured out a way to sort of um, to get back in the game man because yeah. the game never stopped it just changed nope. <laughs> that's exactly it 100% everyone needs to pivot you're totally right game yeah, never man. stops doesn't so, wait for anyone just keeps going but you know like just to um, to build on one thing that you said there uh, the whole disclaimer I'm not a doctor don't blah blah which is you know it's important to put that out there mm -hmm. but I also think that it's super important to share and normalize um, as much as possible these types of experiences and this um, this you know uh, especially now with with what people are struggling with but anytime really uh, and it's one of the things that I've um, become more aware of and learned more about through this pandemic is like yeah you know me uh, mental health is a is a very real thing and it shouldn't be a taboo thing and like one of the I think one one thing that seems to be very very helpful is to just be able to talk to each other about it without feeling further self-conscious and weird. Uh, yeah. And so, like, if we could all just be more comfortable and make p others feel comfortable at saying, hey, like, I, I don't feel so great. I feel kind of bummed out. I I feel this. I feel that. Um, I think that'd be a really good thing. So thanks for uh, bring, you know, opening opening up and, and being willing to share that. Because oh, I think man. for a lot of people that will hit home as just like, oh, Especially okay, now. it's okay that that I went through this or, yep. or that I'm going through this or whatever. Uh, and that there's a way to, to, to deal with it. Yeah. It, it is my like absolute pleasure to do that. And, and that, that point is so damn important because it's another way, especially for musicians again, cause this is like all I know, but, but it's another way that these two things are very incompatible in general. 
the the whole idea of um, like admitting that you are really screwed up on a deep level mentally versus on the other side, you have to put on this facade of being a perfect, everything's together musician in order to be hired for stuff. You don't want to be a liability. You know, like if someone, if someone thinks that you're like a mental wreck and they're not going to hire you for a tour because like, who knows, you may just completely implode on the road and then they're just, it's going to be a disaster. So like these two things again are like somewhat incompatible in our industry talking yeah. openly about yeah. how you're, you yourself in are screwed industry. up versus the the face that everyone historically has tried to put on, which is that we all have all of our shit together all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. none of us do. Obviously, we all know that, but that's kind of the game that us musicians play, isn't it? Yes. Like, yeah. like we and all that, walk around like all our shit's together. Hire that's me. the awesome thing about, yeah. I mean, it's that's definitely one of the awesome things about when shit started to go fucky for me was yeah. realizing, you know, starting to see it in other people, which is terrible, but just to see like, oh, this person's having the exact same shit as me. You know, like uh, even just social anxiety. You know, I'd go mm-hmm. and be like, man, I'm so fucking weird. These people are just fucking, you know, they're just judging me. And it's like, yeah. well, everybody kind of thinks that at certain times, you know, depending on the situation, you know, totally. but I thought it was just me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really like it's, it's going to be a constant rub that can't be beaten because like on the one hand people get hired because of how perfectly they play their instrument yes so like you can't and, and you yeah. can't deny that that's something we should all strive for is like perfection on our instrument because then yeah. we'll get great gigs mm-hmm. but like on the on the on the personal side or on the mental side you know that, that has meant in a lot of cases that musicians have to clam up and not talk to each other about these problems because any show of weakness means that maybe somebody else will just get the gig over you next time. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. There's so yeah, I think it's really, it's like, it's, it's so my pleasure to even have this type of a platform to like talk about this kind of thing. And I know that you guys have also, which I think is great, but like, I think more musicians need to like a a lot, give us space to be screwed up in each other's presence and still like hire us for gigs next time. Yeah. You know, well, uh, well, cause mm -hmm. the treatments are out there and, and you know, like whether it's psychiatry or whether it's like medicine, which I've been on medicine for fucking ages. It's uh, you know, and like uh, it's, it's one of those things that like, sure, you know, your initial struggle with it will probably be like the worst, or at least I found that with me. Uh, and then, you know, you get kind of a handle on it and you know, okay, well, this is the sort of thing I should probably avoid. And this is the sort of thing that I, that I, you know, could deal with, you know, like mm. for me, you know, I can't get like fucked up all the time. And you, you hear about like rock stars that are drinking all the time and all that shit. I can't do that. Cause I'll just get really bummed out and I'll get really anxious and, and it'll just be bad for my mental health. You know, I have to take care of myself and get like some sleep, you know? And yeah. So, so it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, why are they getting so fucked up? Why do they need to? You know, that was, that was exactly the thing you it. touched on yeah. in the mental health yeah, yeah. podcast too. It's like, they're not just doing it because it's fun. You know, a lot of that yeah. is to, is to uh, suppress some of these other things that are going on. I, I, I'm not sure how we reconcile that, like, um, you know, being compassionate for people's situations and, but also like everybody putting on the, 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 uh, the tough facade like nothing's ever wrong and I've always got my, my shit together and that's how you get hired and whatever like I don't know how we reconcile that but I I also know that I could literally knock on wood I could literally sprain my wrist 
And if I could play guitar well enough, I could still get a gig. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Sure, you and you'd probably it. not tell them that you sprained your wrist b- yeah. before you got there kind of or, thing. Or I would, or I would. I'd yeah. be like, oh man, I messed up my hand. Like, hopefully it's good enough. And I would get compassion, I feel. People would be like, oh, how's your hand? How's the hand? How's the hand? Kind of thing. And I'd be like, oh, it's all right. You know, like, I think I'll be okay. And, you know, as long as I'm like not severely letting down the gig, like, you know, I, I could probably ill-advised to play through an injury like that but i could still get hired and do that but it's just what you guys are saying it's like if you express uh emotional um you know injury i guess for lack of a a better uh term it's like all of a sudden everybody's like whoa like yes that's a great point let's secretly get rid of this guy (laughs) yeah yeah no that just proves that there's a that there's a stigma on the mental side that there just isn't on the physical side, right? Because you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, you show up mm-hmm. with a, you show up and you're literally bleeding from your fingers and you still play the gig. <laughs> People would be like, wow, that guy's badass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you show up and you're like, oh man, I'm like, I'm feeling pretty severe anxiety. And you like yeah. show some side effects from that. People will be like, oh, who's yeah. this guy? You know, like, man, yeah. so yeah. true. How? So how do fear, we, the fear the I, unknown, I don't know. Right. Because well, yeah. even one thing before yeah. I was uh, uh, kind of when I first started having issues with this, will until I had like started to really like be affected, Will was of the opinion. He's like, ah, I don't really, I, I don't really know about panic attacks. This is when I was young. I was like 18. He's like, I don't really know. Like, I, I don't think he really believed in them almost, you know, and people mm-hmm. around me didn't believe that they exist. Same with depression. It's like, oh, well, that person's just really sad and they'll figure it out. And it's like, well, it's, it's kind of different. I don't know how it's different, <laughs> but it's, it is different. Right. I feel different, you know? Like, there's a there's a difference between yeah. just being sad all the time and, and being depressed. And same, the, there's a difference between, like, you know, I guess anxiety is a hard one. That I don't know what the comparison would be with that for that, but... Uh, yeah, no. Well, it's, it's, it's an interesting point. It's like, where else in in modern day news have we heard any examples of people not believing people when they say things that haven't happened to the first group of people? You know, yeah, like, yeah. Where else could yeah. we possibly look to find examples of <laughs> yeah. someone not believing something that hasn't happened to them personally? You know, yeah. That's like yeah. that's kind yeah. of a that's kind yep. of a human nature pitfall, right there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, at least we can talk about it sort of frankly and openly here and maybe yep. that's a start of of at least yeah a funny side note putting that that good energy out there you yeah. uh you might have mentioned this al on an earlier podcast or when we were talking uh john mayer who i'm like a massive fan of has had vocal issues right uh and for the longest mm-hmm. time and th- he ended up saying oh i had two granulomas on my vocal cords and i remember looking into this granulomas are just like a hardening heart like hardened spots on your vocal cords and I'm like, isn't that mm-hmm. just a, uh, what's it called? Oh, God. It's not a polyp. Node? No, no. Like, isn't that the same thing? And you were like, well, maybe he said granulomas because yeah. he doesn't want to spook his record label um, so that they won't drop 100%. Him, you know? Because, like, I don't think, mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I should say that so often, but, like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's what a vocal note is. Like, so, I, I don't know. It's It's the same thing, you know? It's like that fear of, of being, like, you know, weak and then like being thrown ostracized. Hundred percent, yeah. love it. It literally just—it ha- actually literally just happened to me. One of the artists that I MD for, we were putting on a like a, a Christmas 
show, and mm-hmm. I needed a uh, I needed a um, one of the guys who played in the band before, the guitar player, singer, and so he came, and uh, and I was like, okay, so you're gonna have to sing these few leads with the artist, and then whatever. And literally, it wasn't until he got there and like halfway through the first rehearsal when American Small Talk, where he's like, yeah, dude, I'm literally just recovering from like I had surgery on my vocal cords because they were so screwed up. Ooh, <laughs> but he's uh, like just like neglected to mention that until after yeah. he got the gig, you know? Yeah, yeah which is yeah, yeah. like we are yeah. all so guilty of that. And I don't, I can't even blame him for it. He's yeah. he's a, like yeah. he's awesome. You love that guy, and and he did the gig and he sounds awesome. But like, but like, he probably shouldn't have been gigging or with his voice still because he was yes know, pretty much fresh out of, fresh out of vocal surgery. But that's that's how that's what yeah. we're pushed to in order to yeah. And I, I mean, I've heard it from other industries too, like. Um, as a dancer, you know, I've done a couple of musicals in my career and like hanging out with dancers and talking to them. Like the worst thing for your career ever is to be pregnant, what? right? What? Mm. Because your body's going to change and then like maybe you won't sure, really yeah, be in yeah. shape afterwards or whatever. And you have to do all this work to get back. So like being pregnant as like a dancer is stigmatized to the point where like a lot of, mm. a lot of people that, like won't tell people that they're pregnant. Until it maybe you know, and they'll be like two or three months pregnant as they're getting close to the end of a contract. I've seen this happen, and then they won't. They'll keep it completely themselves. They'll finish the contract. They'll like pump out the kid. They'll like work out super hard for two months, and like nobody will even know necessarily, beside like their close circle of friends, of course, that they've had a child. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. they'll go for auditions, you know what I mean? Like get an audition or whatever. And like then, they'll, you know, then, then people start to know, oh, they actually have like a three-month-old kid. Yeah, where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> but they just kept it quiet the whole time. Wow. Just totally because like, you know, because again, it's the same thing. Sort of like all of these, all these things that are like, they're, they're natural to us. It's like part of life. But, but the, the nature of the performing arts is such that it can really be harsh to us in those areas. Yeah, well, especially because we there's the someone yeah. Waiting to take that spot. There's like 20 people waiting to just be like, I would love that job. 20,000 people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally, man. Mm-hmm. Yes. Say, yeah. I have some other questions about the actual base. Oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> actual base. I don't know if we Let's can go. switch gears. Let's get out of this cesspool. <laughs> yeah, this funk. Um, but I, I don't know how to segue because I'm not that good of a broadcaster, but. I think you already uh, have, man. I have some base questions. You're, I mean, you're always a guy who, who uh, has had great tone, in my opinion, uh, oh, thanks, and just a, just a generally like a like a, a lar- like a very large, thick sound, but yeah. also very, like you were saying, sort of at the beginning of the episode, like very supportive. It's like a very it's like a soft sort of cushion, like a warm under hug, which man. The band, you know, <laughs> yeah, a warm hug, but also a thick, nasty hug. You know, sometimes <laughs> if you need that, sometimes you need too. Um, but anyway, so it just got me thinking about that kind of stuff. And then as we were chatting about doing this, the, the, um, the show, uh, we've done episodes in the past, just talking about the approach to actually like, how do you hit your instrument, <laughs> hmm. uh, or like, a, like, you know, pick your instrument or pluck or whatever you want to say, like the attack on an instrument, um, and just sort of how you're approaching your tone from just right from the instrument forget pedals forget amps um and i feel like with bass there's a ton of nuance oh, i would imagine and yeah. i'm just curious what your uh what your approach is are you constantly consciously thinking about this stuff are you 
Um, here it comes. Here it comes. All right, Let's you just go. feel it out. Like, what? oh, here comes the bass. The bass is coming <laughs> out. Nice. Um, man, uh, that's that's so awesome. And I, like, I probably write a whole book, man. So yeah, <laughs> stop me if we're getting like t- too crazy. I'll be waiting. But um, tone on the the bass is not just tone. It's like if you have a good tone on 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 a bass, then your groove is also going to be better. And if you have a bad tone on bass, you can't groove properly. Which is, I don't think, necessarily true of almost any other instrument. But it's kind of like what you were saying. Like, part of it is how you feel. Like it's, it's like a well, that is my words, like a warm hug. But like, it's a like a big fat tone. But that also contributes to the actual groove between you and the drummer and the other instruments, because the bass is very much like a mortar, you know, in the bricks. It's like the bass is what fits in between all the other things and kind of glues everything together. So. Having the proper tone for that, I feel, is like probably more important than almost anything else on this instrument is getting the tone right. Besides, like maybe playing the right notes, <laughs> for that. example. Yeah. Does that make sense? That like, makes kind a of, lot of sense. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah, man. I, I, yeah, and and you're right. It is very nuanced, and it's like. It's uh, it's a lot in like the hands and and how you play the thing, um, but yeah, I personally I like a like a warmer like you said like a, like a kind of a gravitate towards a warmer tone um, than like a an attack one. I mean like if you think about a lot of metal bands, pretty much like the the lows and mids are like rolled off and you only hear like the percussive high end definition. I think that sounds cool in that context, but. For a lot of what we're doing, like folky stuff or country stuff, like I really do uh, enjoy that um, that warmer uh, thing, which tends to help really glue the all of the other instruments together. Like I said, like the mortar, um, and that that comes from the the settings for sure on the bass, but it also just comes from like how you play and where you play on the instrument. So like yeah. for, on the bass, for example, it's like the the new like changing where your right hand goes by like a half an inch makes a giant difference as far as the tone. So like if I play, you know, if I do the Jocko thing and like play near the back, you know, like you get that sort of like really, so it's a little more tinny and a little more metallic. Yeah. But then if I move that even an inch, then already it's like so different. And then I play it here, um, kind of on the neck, it's like even bigger and warmer. Yeah. So like making these decisions mm-hmm. about even like where to play each passage, like from here to here to here, and I'm moving my fingers about like, you know, a centimeter every time. That in itself yeah. makes it makes a huge difference, and then obviously like the the, the settings and everything. Um, I, I've got this on passive. This is just a P bass, classic. Whoop, I hit my mic. Classic like Fender P bass going on, uh, and I've got it in, yeah. in passive mode, so I can't even EQ the thing really. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but but uh, bass tone is really interesting in a band because. Um, a lot of the frequencies that you hear when I'm just playing by myself get completely covered up um, oh. when you're playing in a, in a group. In in bass, mm. unlike most instruments, the lower you go, the more it sticks out in a mix. Like, a, you know, as a guitar player, obviously, you guys, yeah. when you're soloing, what's the first thing you do when you solo? You go, wee, wee, you know, you're like up here, yeah, right? Yeah. Because that's what like soars on top of the whole mix, right? Like that's like yeah. the exciting, yeah. super cool part about playing your tussle, but for bass, it's like the low E string and maybe on a five string, like the low B string, 
like that is the most you're going to stick out, right? It, it's the opposite right. on this instrument. Um, so, I mean, the, the decisions as far as like um, how to how to play the thing and like where to go um, as far as like which octaves and stuff. That's stuff that like bass players lose sleep over. <laughs> Literally, like, which is crazy. Do I, yeah. do I do I play this here, you know, or do I play here? Yep. You know, because it yep. means completely different things. But as far as like mm-hmm. the 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 tone itself in a band, like maybe this is maybe what you're hearing now is the sound that I want to sound like in a band. But if I wanted if I wanted in a band mix to sound like this, I might actually be EQ'd something like this. Yeah, in a, in a band because yeah, yeah, yeah. the 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 like three quarters of the top half of the of the treble of the bass disappears in a mix completely. So yeah. if you've got like this sort of like this might be overly tinny for us, right? It's like yeah, but but in a Sounds band, pretty hyped. yeah, yeah, it's pretty tinny. It's pretty up there, zingy. You know, you hear all that stuff. Yeah, but in a yeah, band, yeah, yeah. if I actually were to, if I actually were to play like that, by the time it comes out to the audience, it'll sound like this. Sure. Because of just gotcha. the nature of how the, masking, the mix works, yeah. I feel yeah. 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 The other instruments cover up all of that tinny stuff, and you get the nice kind of especially rings comparing that you're you to for. like an acoustic guitar. You know, the acoustic guitar is just gonna be like. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. 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 That, at least yeah. that that's how I that's how I see it. So like you kinda have to if you really want it to sound good out there, you kinda have to make it a little cringe for yourself, you know, in order for it to like mm. come out properly. Interesting. And it, it it's such a big deal, man. It's such a big deal for us bass players. I had a funny story. Um the one of the last gigs I played this year was like a live stream thing. It was a professionally done live stream. Uh, me, uh, guitar player, bass player, drummer, and a really, really great singer. And the mix, the guy who's doing the mix was a bass player. So I'm like, oh, sick, that's great. This guy knows what he's talking about or whatever. Um, and so like in the room, I had this really nice, big, fat, warm sound going on that I really liked. And as a result, you know, if when things really got going, I was like digging in and, and like, you know, I was because it sounded so nice and big and fat in the room. So I was playing pretty hard with my right hand. You know, I was doing this kind of thing, yeah. you know, or whatever, which is sort of like a, it, it sounds too much, but like in the room when your tone is coming out there, it feels great to do that. And it doesn't, the treble doesn't come through. But then the, the guy who was mixing it, obviously must've been more of a fan of that, like metal tone or whatever, mixed it. And it was so in such a way where like he took out almost all the low end bass frequencies and like added in a bunch of highs. And it was like so clicky that like all you heard was me like slapping these the strings. And it was yeah. so like and it was like toxic for me to listen. It was like, oh, man, I can't listen to this. And the, and I felt like the, the groove wasn't there anymore. But I know it was in the room. It felt great. So yeah. like the, the tone mm. is like tone is like everything on this instrument, man. Um, and uh, and it's really really important to to get that right, you know, quality instrument, good strings, good amp, all of that kind of stuff. Paying attention it, to those things you were saying too, like the little nuances. One thing that Al yeah. wrote down, and I've heard bass players say this before: length of note. Oh With, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's a huge one. <laughs> and the thing that bothers me is the same with me. It's like like I um been taking lessons with Justin Abedin. And he's yes. keeps on saying these like little things. He's like, "Oh yeah, the pick you're using, man." Like, or like even the way that you hold your pick. You know what I mean? He's like, "Oh, you can switch it up to do this." And I'm like, N- now I'm like 
starting to sweat this stuff. You know, it's like, well, is right. that guy doing something that I'm not doing? Should I be doing that thing? <laughs> maybe, dude. Yeah, I but know. I mean, like this, and again, this is like maybe I'm biased because I love this instrument and and I feel like all of these things are like, yeah, I mean, every, every instrument that that's gonna be true to a point. But like, for example, length, yeah, length of note. So like. I'll, I'll play the same, I'll just play eighth notes two different ways and we'll like see what the difference is. So this is the first way. You know, I'm playing every note the same, right? Yeah. And then let's try this way. You know, so like one note slightly longer, one note slightly shorter, yeah. one note slightly louder, one note slightly quieter, and all of a sudden it's like there's a groove there. Yeah. You know, whereas before, if I'm just going like this, there's like nothing there. It's a computer, pretty much. It's a computer versus like. Yeah. And I like first kind of heard this vibe with like Sly and the Family Stone. You know, like they've really got this mm. sort of like like bounce to how to to just normal eighth notes and I'm like oh that grooves all of a mm -hmm. sudden like out of nowhere you know you play it with a drummer or whatever and then you've got something so it's like the the on the beat note is kind of shorter and more percussive and then the off the beat note is longer so like one two three four one two you know kind of goes with like the snare drum if you think gah yeah gah gah you know it's like and, and that makes right. so like length of note yeah, that that's hugely important. And like I said, these are the things that us bass players like literally lose sleep over. Like, how do we play this stuff properly yeah. to make it feel good? Um, yeah, length of note and the octave that you're playing it in. Well, the funny like, thing is too, because completely different vibe. Yeah. It's like because a lot of the time the job is not to play a ton of notes, mm. but it's like how you play the notes. Then the job becomes well, this guy's better at playing those few notes than you are and the ways that he's better it's hard to describe you know like you know length of note now but without the internet it'd be hard to nail some of these things down because i could see you know if i've been playing bass for 20 years and i just played along with drummers i could see that sort of naturally happening like dun, 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 you know right but right. like i wouldn't even know i'm doing that you know which is sure. cool that, and that, i'm sure most people don't you yeah. know who haven't maybe like uh taken a lot of lessons to really have yeah. it like sort of put in front of them in that way but you just pick up you know you listen to his, so if you like if bass players are listening to Sly and the Family Stone and like Larry Graham and all those early bass players that really got funky and like got the groove going they would just play like that anyway not really necessarily know what it is yeah. but at the same time if you're a band leader once again back to the thing where you're just looking for the perfect guy yeah. like you're like there's there'll be a bass player in there who's like oh I get it playing like this will sound good and they'll just do it and the band leader's like oh this feels good so I'm just going to hire that guy over that guy yes. and not even necessarily know why, or even if yep. they know why, they're not going to say why. Mm. Yep. So like, yeah. yeah, all this stuff is totally, that's, this is bass player only stuff. You know, no one's going to tell you unless they're really, really listening and really know their way around the instrument. Like if you're not going to have tell a really you that bass buddy, like, yeah, exactly. They're never yeah. going to like give you that feedback. That's yeah. for you to figure out. Yeah. So I find the same thing with acoustic guitar. That's, that's why I went to Justin because I'm like, when I hit an acoustic guitar, it does not the s sound the same as when fucking Al hits an acoustic guitar. It pisses me <laughs> off. <laughs> so Al's sitting back doing. being That's like, the only thing I got what can on I you. say, man? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's the only instrument I play, so. <laughs> you play other instruments. Um, so, 
building on this idea, which is already so cool, um, mm. I was listening to a podcast called I'd Hit That, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with or not. It's about drummers. Uh, and they interview the, the, the guy interviews, um, you know, some very, very heavy drummers. And there was an uh, episode with Eddie Bears, who's a serious session player, has been on a ton of records. And they were going over the, uh, the quote unquote, I think he called the money grooves. There was like five grooves that you really wanted to be able to play very well. Uh, and if you could do that, you know, that covered a lot of basses, basses, not like, you know, in the baseball sense, not in the bass <laughs> guitar sense, uh, for you, like musically uh, speaking. So I'm wondering if that relates, because obviously bass players and drummers are always trying to work together as, as best they can. Does that relate to you? And do you think about, um, are there sort of a few main grooves you're like, okay, here's how I'm going to approach this type of drum beat in this type of genre, or like if it's this genre, but it's the same drum beat, then I might actually do it a little bit differently. Is that, is that something you've ever thought critically about, or is that sort of something you just feel as you go? Uh, definitely somewhere in the middle. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, again, the thing that I love about bass is that it's fully complementary, right? So it's, you can't really, in the same way that drummers can say like, these are five grooves that are money grooves that you have to know. You can't say that on bass because it's, it's a, it's perfectly in between drums and guitar, basically. It's yeah. like a percussive guitar. Mm. So like, where do you fit, you know, where do you fit in terms of like creating something from scratch? You really don't. You have to complement what's already there. You have to complement the drummer and you have to complement the guitar player or the chordal instrument or whatever at mm. the same time. You're, you're right in the middle there. So I, you can't really say there's like, you know, five money grooves for bass without like referencing, you know, mm. like your typical like... You know, whatever, but like, but as far as like actually, a, a, just a, a typical groove, there there aren't any because that's not really how bass works compared to mm. drums. Mm. But if you're if you're trying to come up with a part um, that you want to fit in with with a drum part that's already there, then for sure there's there's a couple things. I always go to the bass drum first. So like the bass and the bass drum need to be like this, man. They have to like. They have to lock in, and it's probably the closest relationship that any two musicians on stage have, is the bassist and then the the drummer's uh, right foot. <laughs> it's like it's like the you know because like because like the, the the basically those two things in any sort of a in any sort of a, a energetic song or any sort of a live setting, the bass and the bass drum basically are supposed to combine into one sound it's like one yeah. instrument so you got the attack and the oomph from the bass drum and the note of the bass kind of like form something that's greater than the sum of of the parts and it's very very exciting mm -hmm. so the first thing that i'm always listening for is the bass bass drum if there's a part that the drummer's brought in because that's going to inform the rhythms that i play for sure you know depending on whether the drummer is going boom dun, 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 sure. dun, dun, on bass drum yeah. then i'm going to be playing boom 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 on the bass you yeah. know and if the if the drummer is doing mm -hmm. something else i'm probably going to start with that too yeah so definitely listening to that but also yeah you got to know the style of music that you're playing too so like you know if you're talking about a, a style that's got a a really um ingrained 
base part to it and you you should be trying you should try to understand that style before you got to, out to play it so like if you're talking about a cuban style or whatever with like a bass tomb bow then you know there's a certain rhythm you're supposed to be playing on bass so like one two three four you know that's like you need to yeah. start there with the with the like with the cuban style of music or whatever boss says like start in this vibe yeah, you yeah. Know, or whatever uh, so, so understanding the style and sort of what's what's expected of you is very important too. But then, as far as actually playing with someone, I mean, the the lament of a lot of bass players is that if you've got like a terrible drummer, you can't push them around and tell them what to do because the drums just have priority <laughs> over the bass as far as like yeah. as far as how much impact they have in a band. So. You know, yeah. you can come to the gig knowing all sorts of stuff about what should be or whatever, and then if the drummer is just playing something else, you probably just have to go with them if you want it to sound good. I see. Regardless, you know, like yeah, the drummer that. drives the bus for sure, but the bass player like compliments it and makes it fun for everyone else. Makes the trip fun. You know, the the, the drummer is the driver, but the bass player is like the grandma who likes like, <laughs> turning around to all the kids being like, okay, kids, let's sing a song. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. that's my job. It's like, this is going to be fun, guys. Let's go. Like, let's yeah. do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Drummer, keep your eyes on the road, you, and I'm just um, gonna make good vibes for everyone. Do you leave, uh, like, do you offset your note from the kick at all to like leave room for the actual attack of the bass drum? It's like I know huh. um, Mark Mark Rinkin does a really good job of of this in particular. I'm just curious how you got how, how people think about this, but Mark showed me this um, when when I first started hanging out with him. It's like because uh, we were doing a Pro Tools session or whatever. He's like, man, he's like, just nudge the bass back. Um, How many milliseconds? However much. And and that, well, I actually have a thing, I have a thing called, uh, on Pro Tools called eight question marks because like the way the controls work, if you push question mark, it nudges. Sure. And I have my yeah, nudge yeah. set to 10, 10 samples. So it's a, it's a large nudge. I'm not actually sure how many samples it does. But... Uh, if somebody's playing two hunt on top, which yeah. I do all the time when I record my own yes. acoustic, because I'm playing, I'm trying to play with energy with the drums, and then I listen back to them like that's super on top. So I'll just select the whole part and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight on the question mark, and then I'll play it back. And usually that feels good. I'll adjust from there if it doesn't or whatever. But right. that's my that's one of the things I do. But that started because Mark was like, yeah, just nudge it back because then instead of getting like you know boom, you get boom and it, it sounds like fatter and um i and uh something that's really cool i i wondered if you if you messed around with that as well definitely 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 have but not maybe for that exact reason um i just as you know tone is crucially important and bass players lose sleep over that we, all, we i guess we're losing a lot of sleep but we yeah. also yeah lose sleep over <laughs> over the feel over the time feel and and so i, I think about that a lot but, but not necessarily as a leave space for the bass drum as much as I think about it as like just a feel for the song mm. kind of thing. Because it can mm. be more than just leaving space for a bass drum. It can be um, like really far behind or really ahead. And both of those things have profound effects on how the whole piece of music actually sounds. Like on on one hand, maybe you've got a band like Earth, Wind, and Fire Live, where if you like listen to their live albums, they're literally speeding up the entire time. Like they'll start yeah. like, <laughs> you know, like if you listen to like, like Earth, Wind, and Fire Live in Rio or whatever, 
they start off like in the stone, maybe like 20 BPM faster than the album version. And they'll yeah. end it like 40 BPM <laughs> faster than the album version. Wow. They're speeding up the whole time. And the, yeah, that gives that like, like you're saying, Alan, it gives like energy, like crazy. Uh, so if the bass is always ahead. It does give sort of like a, a forward momentum. Really, you're like you're pushing everything ahead, but it can be too much. And then if you go like really far behind the beat, then you're in like D'Angelo territory or whatever, where like the back phrasing is like a super key part of the personality of the of the thing, yeah. right? Like, uh, mm. you, know, you can't just play it on bass. You need the the drums to go along with it or whatever. But like, sure, uh, to to push behind like that. Is like has a very very cool like badass kind of feel to it when you do it properly, um, and I think yeah. on some of those D'Angelo things like it was Pino Palladino that played on the D'Angelo yes. stuff, and, Pino. and oh, yeah. he's like he's he's a god of, of yeah. bass. But I'm I heard rumors and like I, maybe somebody can substantiate this or not that they did that for those sessions too like he was already playing behind you know because he's playing with like some of the greatest drummers ever like Questlove or whatever so like they're able to like do this stuff they're really good musicians but then in the studio maybe sometimes they even took it further behind oh I see to just give it that mm. like super crazy loping like uh, egg type groove you know where it's like not even um, sure and yeah, yeah and yeah that that's a thing 100% the placement but yeah like, I, I don't really see it as leaving space for the bass drum. I just see it as like a purposeful decision to have the song feel a certain way, whether or not you want that like mm. nervous energy and forward momentum or whether or not you want this like super laid back uh, confidence. It's kind of sort of more associated with R&B, I guess, mm. the further you like sort mm. of backphrase. But I mean, if you think about it, singers do it all the time, right? You, just, you call it backphrasing. Yes. Yep. Right? Oh, some yeah. of them just don't even they like, don't even think about it and they just they do don't it, even think about you know? it it's just like yeah. you listen and sax players right. and jazz like you yeah. backphrase all the time yeah um if you call it backphrasing as a bass player you probably just get fired from every gig that you do because you're not you're <laughs> supposed to groove with people you're yeah, not supposed yeah. to like backphrase on yeah. the drummer you're supposed to be with the drummer <laughs> yeah. but if you come up with an idea of like okay this is gonna this song i need to be kind of this little tiny bit behind in order for it to sound the way i want it to sound then you're cool again yeah, <laughs> you're not gonna get fired. <laughs> just play the thing and be like, I just like, do it. I actually practice that. <sighs> um, listen to that. I guess. Yeah, it's like listen to styles of music that have that. Like you couldn't possibly play the D'Angelo feel until you've like absolutely worn out your copies of Voodoo and like Brown Sugar. You know, sure. those two albums. You, like. You got to wear those out, man. You got to feel it. You got to like get it in your body, and then you can just start playing along to those kinds of things. But I, I like listening is number one. Like I, I think because bass can be such a simple instrument. You know, a lot of times we're just going like, you know, it's like not tech. This isn't technically hard to do this, but but so much of it has to do with like understanding the history of it and where things come from and knowing what you want to get out of a certain piece of music that us bass players, we can practice our instrument by listening to other people playing yeah. our instrument, you know, like once you get a certain mm. amount of technique out of the way, just listening and really trying to understand, you know, what makes your favorite baseline, your favorite baseline, and then trying to emulate it later. But like you get it inside your body first and then you can start trying to be legit at like putting it back out there. That makes so if you sense. really love that feel, then just like listen to D'Angelo over and listen to Pino just crushing these crazy behind the beat things. Fucking guy. And then like play along with it and see if you can get anywhere close. 
you know, and then yeah. get your buddies together and be like, hey, drummer, can you just play like just a, a groove for a second? Let me just cl- just destroy it, you know, trying to play yeah. behind the beat for a while and like see how see how to do it. But yeah, a, a lot of bass player practicing, I think, is just listening, man, it, listening and thinking again, because it's not a choppy mm-hmm. instrument. It, it's a, yeah. it's a lot in your a lot in your mind and a lot in your heart, I think. Well, not to get too hippie on it. But. It's cool because it's mm, um, well it's the same with drums. It's like just the prospect that you could get a guy who has all the fucking chops in the world on drums, but there's another guy who literally like, you know, yeah, he crushes those, you know, whatever grooves he's doing, like ACDC's drummer, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's not hired to do crazy like gospel fills, but I don't think, I, I bet you gospel drummers would do fine in that band, but it's like, it's cool that there's a guy for that that specializes in that and like yeah. you know has that that groove it's one of the things that you were saying with the listening kind of reminds me of i mean so if you if someone tried to explain like swing you know like swing feel to someone who's never heard swing like mm-hmm. it'd be really hard to to have them replicate it because it'd be like well one of right. them's long and one of them's short and i mean you, you know, got an example of that all the time like in in classical musicians when you get like a classical string section to try to swing eighth notes to in like yeah. a jazz tune or whatever it's like it's heinously bad yeah. it's like so bad you know because they just don't know how to do it but yeah. it's because they don't listen to it it's not in their body right yeah. the whole classical way of playing is so different from from like on our side of the fence kind of thing that when the two worlds collide, it's very obvious that they don't listen to and love that stuff as much, maybe, or they're just yeah. not—they're not capable of playing and with that stuff. And vice versa, I'm sure. And vice versa, yeah. Oh yeah, are you, ki- are you kidding me? You get a get a jazz upright bass player in an orchestra, like they're gonna get yeah. friggin' booed off stage probably in a matter of seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, it, really, it's like yeah, you, you listen, man. You gotta you gotta listen. You identify what it is that you love why you love it and then just listen to it so much that like you start thinking like that person you know it's like when you when you practice something long enough at home then you'll find that it starts seeping into your playing when you're playing a gig right the same thing yeah. if you if you listen if you listen to a certain band that you love over and over and over again then it that then the influences of that band are going to start seeping into your own playing whether you whether you like it or not you know subconsciously like, some, like I, I'm, I play licks sometimes. And I don't even remember where they're from, but I know that that's something that maybe in like my the infantile stages of me playing the bass, I was listening to this over and over again. And I'm like, this is a lick from somewhere, and I know I love it. You know, I don't even know where it's from anymore, but I'm playing it. Yeah, it may. That so yeah, I think I think listening is like listening is is number one. Listening and really thinking about what's going on, and then just trying to internalize that, and then it'll just come out. It has to. Right, it comes out when you're playing. Fucking better. <laughs> um, one thing that we haven't mentioned uh, is that Ben is a excellent backup singer. Uh, excellent sure, singer, but yeah. Sings a lot of backups in the projects oh. that he's involved in. I went to your That's original show way ben, back in the day. Ben Miller lead vocals, but I would like to. Um, <laughs> There's some out there if you know where to look. But um, do you have any like any tips for uh, because my, Mike and I have have gone on record so many times saying how important it is to to if you're able and if if it's something that you're interested in doing um being a not even like a super strong backup singer but a capable one who's willing to jump on a part even like a even a shout thing if you're not like a super 
um, confident, strong singer, but like, it, you know, um, adding that uh, asset to a band that you're in is super, super huge, especially for people looking to get hired. Like that's, yeah. that's such a big thing. Do you have any tips um, on how to find backup parts, uh, how to sort of fit in vocally, what people could maybe aspire to do if they don't feel, you know, like they're a, a great singer, but they're, um, you know, super and obviously great at their instrument and want to get hired, want to get into that world a bit. Like, what would you suggest? Sure. Yeah, that, that's, 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 those are all really, really good points. Um, first of all, I, I completely agree, you know, back to the, like, who's going to get hired versus not who's going to get hired. Like, again, you're going to, you got to have all your mental shit together. But also if you sing backups, then immediately you're going to get hired over someone yeah. who doesn't sing backups, if that's at all what they're looking for. So singing backups can be really, really key for your employability as a musician. Uh, and it does really, really add a lot. And a lot of people are very grateful for it. So yeah, a very important skill to have, at least like at a, at a mediocre, passable level. Definitely. Um, I definitely did take lessons. Uh, I took vocal lessons for about a year or so to just to figure out and get my technique in the right place. Because I don't know um, how, what your guys' experience was like, but coming from learning an instrument where you can literally look at your fingers and be like, oh, this looks wrong. I need to make this look like this or literally have someone be able to like take your finger and be like, no, it goes here versus vocal technique, which is like, okay, so you feel that maybe that like clenching down sort of here, like by your Adam's apple, does that feel weird? Or like, how's your breath feel? Or like, where's the breath coming from? Like you can't, you literally can't reach inside someone's mouth and be like, this is what you have to do with your throat in order to sing properly. It's like really, really hard to just know what to do, even by looking up videos on YouTube or whatever. So I found private lessons to be invaluable uh, in terms of like getting my vocal technique proper. So if- um, Who'd you study with? I studied with this really, really cool guy named Ken. Um, in uh, he was out of a out of a music school in uh, like kind of South Markham. Like um, I'm trying to remember exactly where it was. Like McCowan and Finch, kind of, or like McCowan and Steels, like up mm. there. Ken De Los Santos okay. was his name, and he he, uh, he, te- he taught out of a like a school, and it was me. This is when I had my day job back when I was doing like my day job thing. So I was like coming there from my office you know, with like office clothes on and it was a bunch of like 10 year olds running around. It was like 10 year olds and like 30 year old Ben, you know, because this guy Ken is like a master <laughs> of, um, of just like listening to you. Cause yeah, like singing, teaching singing is really hard because everyone wants to get different stuff out of it. And if you, if you can't take someone's vocal cords and place them in the right spot, it's really hard to teach it. I feel yeah. but Ken was really good at putting it mm-hmm. in terms that I could understand. Um, it's, it's tough and, because with singing is yeah, just like you said, you can't see it. And, yeah. like, as you go on, like, you develop an awareness of, like, feelings that you didn't realize you had before. Or, like, even just breathing. Like, being able to, like, sing yes. into your nose versus, you know, not. It's, like, that's something you just won't get on day one. Um, Absolutely. Very frustrating. So so I do think that, that a certain amount of lessons just on that instrument is really, really important because... Personally, I mean, I'm sure there, there's a lot of people out there I know that are just naturals and can figure it out. But like for me, there was no way I was going to get to the the like very, very moderate level of technique that I have without having taken lessons to like understand how this stuff is supposed to work and how your breath is supposed to work and everything. So 
a couple lessons, even just to get you on, on the right path, I feel is like really important to, for, to, to be a good backup singer. And then uh, once again, it's listening, but, but in this, in this sense, it's listening to your lead singer. Um, I know Al, you've talked about this before, but like the, but like blending and obviously pitch is like so important as a backup singer that like whatever your lead singer is doing, mm-hmm. um, whatever your lead singer is doing as far as, uh, little inflections or anything like that, uh, and how they're pronouncing words, uh, you want to match, you want to listen to that stuff and like match all of it, like match it as much as you possibly can as far as your note. Um, so being really, really sensitive to listening to how it's coming out of the lead singer and then just trying to kind of in the same way as like a bass plus bass drum equals profit, you know, sort of like lead singer plus backup singer equals profit. It's like more than the sum of their parts sort of thing. You have to blend yourself into whatever your lead singer is doing. And then to practice like, cause you know, practicing backups, God, it's awful. It's like practicing at home, singing a weird backup line that doesn't sound good yep. by itself is just like the worst thing ever. So, you know, if you're if you're lucky enough to have a car, like that's the spot, man. So for me, like mm-hmm. to what you were saying, Al, about um, like hearing backup parts, to me, when I was really trying to improve my backup singing game, I would be driving around in the car with a song up loud and then I will uh, I still do this a lot of times I'll if there even if there isn't a backup part I will try to create a harmony and sing it just like as loud as I possibly can but with good technique or whatever in order as a way of just practicing yeah like hearing a harmony as opposed to hearing the melody I guess I, I might have a leg up because as a bass player I hardly hear the melody anyway <laughs> Like I'm yeah. brutal with that. Like I hear drums and bass pretty much only, no matter what song it is. Like, you know, I'm like, Hey, do you guys know this song? And people are like, what freaking song is that? And you're like, Oh, I, I can't even tell you how the melody goes. I literally just know the bass part, you know? So like maybe I have a leg up in that thing where like the melody is, is not even there for me. But, um, yeah, yeah you just practice hearing, you practice hearing a harmony and singing it helps to yeah. know a little bit of theory. So, you know, what's going on, but, but again, it's just like anything, you know, you can start with a little bit of natural talent, but it's practice. There's no, there's no, mm-hmm. uh, there's no kind of corner cutting, but having a car with the windows up and just being in that zone where no one can hear you, hopefully, um, then you just have the confidence to just, just go for it. And yeah. I, I did that. I did that a yeah. lot. Oh, I used to practice my car all the time, man. It's, it is the, it is the safe zone. Safe yeah. zone, man. It's your safe space. Um, one thing that, that I learned from you regarding backups that stuck with me, and I don't know if you called it this or not, but in my head, I call them anchor notes. But it's hmm. like, if you have you know, a basic sort of theory knowledge of each chord's got a, a one, a three, and a five in it, yeah, or even just knowing that the major scale's got you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, but like whatever chord you're on, generally speaking, your harmony is gonna is going to be anchored on one of those notes of that chord. So if you're playing a C chord, the melody is probably singing a C, E, or a G most of the time, especially in pop music, because now everything is just like, yeah, like that's your melody. Like, you know, it's a very one note sort of era of music that we're in, which is... Put a trap beat on that, baby. Yeah, but like, then you... 
as a backup singer, get to occupy one of the other three notes there. And then it's kind of like when the lead singer goes up, you go up. When they go down, sure, you go down. Yeah, yeah. As a general starting point, there's a lot of great backup vocals that are very angular and go in different directions from the lead, and it sounds super, super cool. But like, if you're just sort of sitting in on a on a rehearsal or 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 figuring something out on the fly like that's a really great starting point if you play um, that absolutely first and i think too. most most people like if you physically that. like yeah. i found that if i physically played that note on the guitar when i was first learning it it would like help so much to just like play that note and then try to sing the melody totally so yeah yes. this is a bit more advanced like when you're actually in a band and you're trying to like work out a line and have it work with everybody else's line or whatever so like what's a like, let, let's let's give an example. Like, what's a what? Do you like "Don't Stop Believing" or some sure, some, don't some, stop some believing. fantastic yeah, tune that none of us are sick of? Like, "Don't Stop Believing." Okay, cool. Um, so the key is like E. Here we are, right? And then um, Al, what's the melody? Like, what is so as far as anchor notes for the melody? What? Just a small town girl. Oh well, yeah. I guess where's the harmony? Well, let's uh, do the chorus. Strangers. Let's do the chorus. Wait oh yeah, yeah. There's the pre-chorus. Okay, yeah, cool. So it's oh, so so a, yeah. A, so yeah, the pre-chorus would be that's a that's nine, right? A nine, exactly. So like, so the anchor note would probably be the nine, just because that's where you come in. So like in, the, in in E, that's an F sharp. So right, the nine of it is like that's that's the anchor note for the melody, and pretty much that whole phrase goes around the nine, right? It goes like nine one nine three or whatever. Sure, yeah. Two, I guess, would be more. Two, yes. A poor man's Absolutely. Yeah. A poor <laughs> man's I don't, don't want to confuse people, but yeah. Um, yeah. You uncultured slob. <laughs> um, I know. So, uh, fucking music so then, uh, as the backup singer, so then as the backup singer, uh, so is it, is it like, is the backup for that starting on the six then? Um, dun, 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 dun. Or is it starting on seven? Da, 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 it might be the seven, seven, which is a really weird, right. which is a really weird one. But it's so it's such a cool sound. I mean, the chord but, but is uh, A, right? It's yeah, it's, a, it's on that, the four, that so that might actually right. not matter. Chord, so. uh, well, that's actually it's interesting that you mentioned that because I I always but this is a personal thing maybe because I'm a bass player. I still always think of it in terms of the root of the key, not necessarily sure. the chord that you're on. Yeah, yeah. So like even if mm -hmm. we're on, uh, so if we're in the in the sort of a lydian right yes that's where we're at like in that part of the song uh, i still think of that as a nine just in the nine in the yeah. key of e you know like yeah same yeah um so then yeah for the for the backups i guess it would be the seven of e Strangers waiting, right? That's what it is. Yeah, that's what I usually sing. It's super rubby, but it sounds really cool to me. Well, that's it's the Lydian. That's the sharp eleven of the key of A. Yeah. You're on a you're on yeah. a D sharp. Yeah. But it's nice because so it, it resolves it, both ways. So yeah, that's definitely like if I were to, if I were thinking about trying to hit those notes. But again, we have the benefit of knowing theory, so that's where this comes in. Yeah. Is like a certain amount of theory and ear training. To, so if I just hear A, I, I know that the sharp 11 or the Lydian note or the sharp 4 or whatever you want to call it 
it, that's my target note. And I know that's where it is. Sure. So I can hear that. So like my whole line is then centered around that that sharp eleven. So like. Or whatever I do there. So I know, yeah, the, the anchor note really, really helps. And that's a hard one. We, we just we jumped yeah, we, right to the... We gave a really I was thinking more of the chorus with the easy ones, but yeah, that, that's that's it, man. Anchor notes um, uh, really, really help. But then that's, yeah, that, but again, that, maybe some lessons, some lessons will help with that. You know, taking a bit of theory and ear training so you understand what those relationships are. That'll really help you. It's not just magic anymore. Then you can really, then you really know yeah. what's going on, you know? It's not mm-hmm. just hit or miss, yeah. like, sometimes I get the note. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I don't know why. Straight! And if I miss the note, yeah. I don't know what note I hit instead or why yeah. it sounds good or bad. This sounds yeah. good. The other the other kind of starting point that applies um, to, like, that specific case is, um, and among others, is just go two notes away in your whatever your sure. scale is for the song, your major scale, right? Just go two notes away in either direction, and that's probably going to be a, a, a note that's going to work, you know? It's going to be Maybe something, Maybe you got to yeah. switch the octave of it or whatever. But, like, that's another uh, another way to try to do it, which is... But, uh, anyways... We I know, basically I, did I, that I like there. No, was, we did that there, we did that there too. That's absolutely right, right? Like, yeah. you're, yeah. You're, the melody is... So, I went two notes down, you know? You went... And then you went, right? So the two together definitely will work. So sometimes that won't work, but but a lot of the times, a lot of times it works going up. Going down is the the times when it it gets a little tricky. Also, too, I feel like if you if you practice this a bunch, if you're like, you'll snap into place. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like, oh man, six wasn't the note. Okay, five. You know, like totally. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's practice, man. It like it get you get the first time you try it, you're going to be useless, and the second time you try it, you're going to be slightly less useless. Yeah, etc. 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 Times like four years until eventually, like you can just do it, and you're good at it, and you're fast at it. Yeah, and you can be employable. Mm-hmm. That but is it, a yeah, very under not undervalued skill, but under almost like paid attention to skill. There are some guitarists mm-hmm. that it's like, yeah, they're like, you know, they don't really even spend a ton of time on guitar. You know, like, and they don't know a lot on guitar, but they can kind of play guitar. Mm-hmm. But they're amazing backup singers, and it's like that is uh, amazing backup singers are so much harder to find that play oh, an man. instrument than amazing instrumentalists who don't sing. You know, like it's such a boon. Yeah, even like speaking as an MD now, who like, yeah. like the choice of having to like hire guys for stuff. It's like it's so nice to have a guitar player. Um, yes. Yeah, who like. Who can come to a gig and I can and I can like make sure they're playing the right parts first and then on top of it all to just be like okay and then like sing the third here in this chorus yeah. and like give me the actual like it just so next levels your band yes if you can do that so yeah highly recommend yeah um, especially if you're looking to go into playing in bands and stuff yeah backup singing is like yeah so good mm-hmm. and important and really adds so much and people in the crowd respond to like. Like, you know, I could play any crazy lick I want in the in the world on the bass guitar, and you're gonna get the one dude in the front row who's gonna be like, "Fuck yeah, bro, that was <laughs> sick!" But then, like, you know, you get you get three people singing just like a do 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 together, like you know, in a really really nice in tune um, backups and leads and stuff, and the whole audience just cries. So yeah, you know, so like it really, it's very important 
you know, like let's look at the Beatles, man. Like aside from their musical yes. genius, like the the backups are what make that band, in my opinion, more than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yeah. so yeah great at that, man. The harmonies are insane, and people just respond to that. It's one of those things where like you hear human voices in harmony, and it just gets people going, man. So to be able to bring yep. that value to a band is like you'll you'll be hired more. A hundred percent. Well, it's like a drummer sure. that has a, a great tracks rig and knows tracks and knows how to mix them and it's like yeah even if there's a better drummer like if you know the other guy knows tracks and he's pretty much just as good you're gonna hire that guy you know like um one last thing uh on this is like we're saying you know it does take a long time to get really good at this but i would encourage people to start asap and there's two ways i think you can do this aside from just your own practice but in a band situation when fingers crossed we get to do that again um oh rich da silva in the chat shout out to rich saying oh, hey shit. ben um, oh, hey, rich. so two different ways you could do that uh number one is uh just getting on gang vocals there's always a song where sure. there's a hey in the chorus or something set yeah. up a mic and do that or if there's not enough mic inputs do it anyways because you'll get picked up in somebody else's mic or like team up on a mic and, on the next game and there might do it be with somebody. enough too and yeah and then number two is uh sing along with the lead vocal in the same pitch as them if you want or an octave below if it's too high or level two of this would be try to actually sing a harmony part off mic you're sure. not singing into the microphone yes but you're the audience is going to see that you are engaged with the lyric of the song you'll see a lot of people do this they'll sing sort of along with the the lyric and i think there's a way to do this that that doesn't look super cheesy uh and because uh, in my mind i'm like this could look really cheesy as well but yeah. i think there's a way to do it where it's still it's going to look like you're part of the you're part of the action um but if you're not feeling super confident vocally you know you're getting those reps in of like i'm practicing singing a harmony i'm playing my instrument at the same time i look like i'm involved i look like i'm jazzed about the lyrics of the song so i would really encourage people as daunting as a a a, a skill as this could be um start doing something and there'll there'll also be parts of the show where all you have to do is go ooh, yeah that's it you're singing the song's in the key of d and you have to sing a d you can you could probably do that you know what i mean so like try to volunteer to do those parts if if they're available because um you know until you start it's like the youtube thing ben it's like until you post your first video you're not doing anything and it's like you got to just start doing stuff doesn't matter how many times you practice it at home doesn't matter how many times you do any of that stuff by yourself in your room uh until you really put it out there you you're not that yeah you're not that thing yeah and it's totally different, so. you know, especially in the backup singing realm. Once you're playing with the band and the volume's up and everything, it's a completely different feel to start, you know, activating your voice and singing into a mic versus just practicing at home. So, yeah, I love the singing oh, off man, mic. Oh, man, mic technique is a whole other thing. That is yeah, a really good idea. I think, I think that that's a good exercise for, for a lot of people. And um, if you don't if you don't mind, let me speak directly to bass players for a second on this. Cause, oh, cause, uh, yeah, please like, do. Bass players, we got a we got a rough go of it with singing backups because um, we're that, because the the backup line is a linear line and the the bass is also a linear line. So a lot of times, if the rhythm of the bass and the rhythm of the backup part are different, that can be really really hard to to do. 
because like we're we're not used to doing two separate rhythmic things at the same sure. time. We're like we're very solid in our one rhythm or whatever. So like it can be very difficult. I I, f- I feel like more difficult than for guitar players because the strumming thing is yes. sort of more of a like put the, put it out of mind and you can focus on your singing with the str- keeping the strumming consistent. Yep. Whereas like the bass line has to be perfectly rhythmic in whatever rhythm's going on, but the backups may be different. So like you you'll find situations where you've got like a really hard go of it with two linear. Uh, lines that don't mesh together um and the only thing that i would recommend is to slow it down to like ridiculously slow speed and try to get the those two things to mesh so like you know don't give up on it but just like slow it down like crazy until you're able to get it happening at at a slow speed and then like speed it back up one of the one of the most like infamous ones examples of that is in friggin i want you back um, you know, in that oh, little breakdown, yeah, yeah. In, in that yeah. little breakdown part in the middle, where the bass is already playing like a hard part, the bass is going like one, two, three, and then the bass goes like, right, that thing. But then, like, they want you to sing like over top of that as well. Some bands, so like. It's like it's like so, but like yeah. that's the kind of stuff you could be saddled with, yeah. you know? Like yeah, and oh, it's like God, oh, you just play bass, you gotta at least sing, man. Oh it's my like God. what? That that would took like practicing like crazy, but that was like literally going like. Yeah. You know, until like for forever, until like mm-hmm. a sort of could work it up to speed slowly just like respect yourself and have pity on yourself and like slow it down um like crazy until you actually can practice it and get it and then just like slowly slowly speed it up but it takes takes a lot Mm -hmm. of patience for sure also taking the pitch away from the vocals can just saying the words can be like a nice stepping stone if you're just saying the lyrics also saves your voice if it's a that's that was a big thing for me yeah Mm. um just to get the coordination because you're trying to figure out where each syllable of each word lines up or doesn't line up with what your hands are doing and it's mm. it's quite a quite a thing to sort of decode but you're right if you just slow it down and figure out each sort of each frame of it until you get get it all built then um then you, you know it's it becomes doable but there's some yeah. crazy like i mean you know like when i first learned the song why georgia by John Mayer, sure. which I still cannot play 100% properly, but like singing and playing that that you know the finger pick pattern for that, it's like you just have to, you just have to literally go one strum at a time, one word yeah. at a time. Yeah, until one you, syllable you sometimes. All up and it's like yeah, there's no time, yeah, there's no yeah. shortcut there. It's just like the, putting in the work and slowing it down like crazy to get that, yeah, that that facility together. Yeah. And then just like anything else, you get better yep. at it, and then it's not as hard anymore. But then you get yeah. all the gigs, all the gigs. And the girls. All the no gigs. Um, yeah, yeah. That exist right now. I think that's a good place to wrap us up. Thanks so much for coming on, Ben. That was that was yeah. great. You're very generous oh, with your time, and and that was a great discussion all around. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here, and um, fan of you guys, both of you, obviously. And so I, I'm very grateful to uh, have been asked to come on. So thank you for having me on, and I really hope this was uh, somewhat helpful to somebody. Uh, yeah, somebody it was helpful out there. to me. 
Screw everybody <laughs> <Okay>. else. <laughs> no, it's my honor, man. It's, it's a pleasure. Thank, thank you so much for having me, man. Oh, man. So everybody go check out Ben's YouTube channel, um, youtube.com slash C slash Benny the Bassman. Uh, lots of great bass tutorial videos on there. Where, what's he on Instagram? What's your Instagram handle, too? Oh, Benny the Bassman. Benny That's the Bassman on Instagram. At Benny the Bassman on Instagram. Um, Very consistent branding. Uh, Patreon.com slash Benny the Bassman. Jellynote.com slash creators slash Benny the Bassman if you're looking to actually buy some charts yeah. for me up there. Um, yeah, you can find everything up there, too. Thank you very much. Right on, man. All right. Uh, well, that's uh, that's going to do it for this one. We are Music Guy Podcast on Facebook as well as Instagram, uh, musicguypodcast.com, where you can find uh, all the past episodes. And, of course, also on YouTube if you want to watch things go down live and, uh, and also watch the video version after the fact. You can subscribe to us there. I'm at Alro Music on Twitch, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, probably uh, YouTube also, some other places like that. Um, and uh, if, if folks are interested in uh, getting any of their music mixed or produced, or if you need vocal tuning uh, or editing or anything like that, I'd be happy to do that for you. So you can hit me up on any of those platforms there. Um, Michael Hebs is at Bruno the Meek on Instagram. If you need a great guitarist or uh, some great slide guitar pedal steel i'm sorry lap steel lap steel my terminology right Are there uh, uh synth programming mike recently did some dope sound design stuff on one of the tracks that uh, that was give me fucking money agenda. if you just want to um, give me money just do so it just hit, email me <laughs> <laughs> hit them up um We'll see everybody next week. Thank you so much for joining us for this this uh, wonderful episode. And thanks again to Ben Miller for being a part of it. Such a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Every week on this show, we play an original song from an artist that we think is cool. If you would like to submit your own original music for play on the show for our song of the week, you could do so by emailing us at musicguypodcast at gmail.com or by hitting us up at any of the aforementioned social media handles. This week's song comes to us from one of the artists whom Ben plays bass for and MDs for. David Boyd Jaynes was the 2019 Boots and Hearts Emerging Artist Award winner, lending himself a single deal with Warner Music Canada. This is his latest single. It's called Couldn't Hurt. As always, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. I could have drove straight home today at five o'clock and sat on the porch, drifted off while the sun drops. I could have hit the interstate and skipped town and slipped away. Went anywhere I wanna go, so everybody in here should know that I don't need to be at this bar with a pretty girl on my arm. But it's half past midnight and one more Bud Light. Everything nobody know on. Cause I can shut this place down, or anytime I can walk right out. No, I don't need another drink to get over her But it could
already heed the rule There ain't no traffic lights But this fishing line is moving slow I could have stayed out here all day With the pine trees and the lake Went anywhere I want to go So everybody in here should know That I don't need to be at this bar With a pretty girl on my arm But it's half past midnight Midnight, one more Bud Light won't do no harm. But I don't need to be at this bar with a pretty girl on my arm. But it's half past midnight, and one more Bud Light never did nobody no harm. Cause I can shut this place down, or anytime I can walk right out. No, I don't need another drink to get over. Couldn't hurt